0: Welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast, where our mission is to help everyone recognize and experience the presence of God. Hey everyone, welcome to the Blessed Sacrament Parish Community Podcast. My name is Kristen Russell, and today we have a jam-packed podcast for you because we are talking about four amazing saints in our Catholic faith. And I am joined today by Corinne Cathcart, and she is our elementary faith formation coordinator. This is the first, like, official. Well, it was official last year, but like, you're actually in person with kids this this year, so live and in person. That's fun. <laughs> um, but Corinne joins us um, with a background in education. She was a second grade teacher at a Catholic school for ten years. She graduated from the. Ohio State University, and uh, got her education degree from the University of Cincinnati. So, Corinne, thank you for being here and uh, talking a little bit about this quartet of Teresas. Thank you for having me. So, I was approached, and Lynn Pike approached me and said, Kristen, you need to have Corinne go on the podcast and talk about the four Teresas. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I love um I love at least three of the four, and the only reason I can't say I love four of four is because I don't know enough about the fourth Teresa, so I'm excited to learn. And Mm -hmm. by the end of this podcast, I'm sure I will love four out of four Teresas, and you listeners, I'm sure, will love four out of four Teresas as well. Mm -hmm. So, Corinne, can you tell us, just to begin, you know, who are
1: the four Teresas? In chronological order, the four Teresas are St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of the Zoo. She is also often known as the Little Flower. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, and she's also better known as her given name, Edith Stein, and St. Teresa of Calcutta, and you all know her as Mother Teresa, of course. Excellent. So
0: what drew you to the four Teresas? So
1: about five years ago, right around the time that Mother Teresa was being canonized, um, I saw a Facebook post by Father James Martin, and it was this huge stained glass window and a church in South Carolina. Um, it had Mother Teresa being welcomed into heaven by the other three St. Teresas, St. Teresa of Avila and St. Teresa of the Sioux and St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And I spent a long time just staring at this picture and, and thinking about these four special women and I realized that I knew a little bit about each of them but not not enough I thought and I I started collecting books about them and my nightstand was just stacked growing growing, growing, <laughs> uh-huh, growing. exactly um, so for the past five years that's been there's always been a, a book buyer about a Saint Teresa sitting on my nightstand
0: that's so awesome and just so everyone knows, I'm going to include a link to this image in the description of the podcast. So if you want to see what Karina was talking about, um, you know, you can click on the link in the description and you can see that stained glass. That's a beautiful piece of work. So I think one of the best things we can do is you know, let's just kind of go Teresa by Teresa and you know talk a little bit about their lives and who they were and what they did and what makes them so special. So you listed them in chronological order. I'm going to go in. Let's start with Mother Teresa, because I think everyone is super familiar with Mother Teresa, if not with who she is, but at least a quote or two, Mm -hmm. um, because she's a very quotable saint. Yes, she is. Um, So, yeah. What can you tell us about Mother Teresa?
1: So uh, Mother Teresa was born in 1910 in what is now Macedonia. Uh, Her given name was Agnes. And actually, one of the missionaries of charity, one of her first missionaries of charity, um, took the name of Agnes as her as her uh, religious name. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, she knew from a very early age that she was called to the religious life. She doesn't talk about her early life much. Um, but she left home at the age of 18 to join the Sisters of Loreto. And her ultimate goal at that point in her life was to be uh, a teacher and a missionary in India. She was very inspired by... Um, the problems in, in India and thought that she would be able to help there. Um, but before she could be a teacher in India, she had to learn English, which was the, the language of instruction in India at that point. Um, so she had to go to the Laredo convent in Ireland. So a year later, after learning English, apparently learning English very fast, I couldn't have <laughs> learned a new language in a year. But hey, this is Mother Teresa we're talking about, right? Um, so a year later, she arrives in India and And uh, she began her novitiate with the Sisters of Laredo while teaching in a school near the convent. Um, She also, at this point, started learning Bengali because, of course, that's the language that the kids are going to know, and they're going to be coming to her with that. Um, She took her solemn vows as a Sister of Laredo in 1937, age 27. And then she, at that point, the the custom of the Sisters of Laredo, when you take your final vows, was to take the title mother, so that's where the mother and Mother okay. Teresa comes from. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was too. <laughs> um, so uh, her, her Teresa, she wanted to take the um, name Therette, Therese of the Zoo after her patron saint. Mm-hmm. But there was another nun in the convent who already had that name. So she went with the Spanish spelling. Um, okay. And she becomes Mother Teresa at this point.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, let's see. So for almost 20 years, she taught at a convent school in India, uh, eastern Calcutta. And she loved her life there. She thought that that was where she would spend the rest of her life because she was really good at it, and she loved her life there. Um, But as God often does, God had another plan. (laughs) (laughs) We
0: can laugh about it. Yeah, God always has a plan.
1: Exactly. And uh, so on September tenth, 1946, she's on her way to her annual retreat in Darjeeling. She's on the train, and she experiences her famous call within the call. And Jesus called her on the train to leave the convent and serve the poor of Calcutta by living among them. In fact, she doesn't just say she was called. She says she's ordered to do this. She's ordered to serve the poorest of the poor. So what do you say to a call like that? Maybe later. Yeah, That's not <laughs> what you say. So. Uh, right. Yeah. Let me think about it, yeah, Jesus. Hang on.
0: I'm going gonna, gonna to take <laughs> some time for this. But no, no she no. says, okay.
1: Of course she of course does. It's Mother Teresa. She's Mother Teresa. So Mother Teresa says yes, and then she has to go jump through all the, the loopholes on the red tape to, um, in order to make this become her life's work. So in 1948, she starts her missionary work with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, and uh, she changed her regular Laredo habit, the black and white, for the, the wonderful white and blue striped Sorry that we're all so familiar with. Um, She said she took the blue and white sari because she felt that to work among the poorest of the poor and to live among them, um, she needed to wear what they wore Mm -hmm. and eat what they ate. Mm -hmm. And this is how she was going to to be able to enter into their lives. So this becomes her uniform for the next half century of her life. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine imagine at the age of 44... (laughs) Being called to something entirely Being new. Being
0: called to something entirely new, and not only that, but having to, and em- embrace, but immerse. Really, she had to immerse herself into this life of the poorest of the poor. Now, maybe that call would have been easier, like if it was like immerse yourself in like the royalty, you mm-hmm. know, in the top, in the top tier of the caste system. Right. But instead, you know, of course, Jesus is like, I want you to immerse yourself with the poorest of the poor, the people who are seen as the lowest. And I just love everything that she did in order to fit in, but not necessarily even like fit in, but to make, I think everything she did was to make the others feel comfortable with her. Here's my sorry. Here's, I'm eating the same food you eat. So we have, that connection and you know we're talking this year in faith formation you guys are talking about the big reveal Mm -hmm. and that's all about how god reveals god's self to us that we might be in deeper relationship with him Mm -hmm. and so i think it just fits so perfectly like of course mother Teresa would take on the apparel you know the dishes and just really connect with those with whom she served Mm -hmm. and that serves as a great example for all of us who serve exactly this is what it's supposed to be. It's not a uh, us, them. It's a we and an us. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yes.
1: And that was always her her way was to mm-hmm. be in the gutters with mm-hmm. the people that she served. So uh, fun fact about the saris, just while we're on the subject yeah. of the sari, um, they are woven actually by um, former lepers in a leper colony. Really? Yeah. In India. Um, so people who have been healed of leprosy and, and still have the disfigurements live together in this leper colony that she has started.
0: Wow, I did and not know And that's where
1: that. all the saris are woven. They do uh, bandages and bedsheets there as well. That is, wow. Isn't that that's neat? That's so cool.
0: That is so cool.
1: <laughs> of course,
0: Mother Teresa, of course. Of course she would, right? That's because, so awesome. Yeah. Dignity of work. Like, exactly. Here, we need you. Mm-hmm. You play an integral role in this. Oh, sure. that's so cool.
1: And I mean, look up the pictures of them if you have time, because I mean, these are people with disfigured hands, you know, working these looms and doing it expertly. So mm-hmm. it pretty amazing. Another cool thing that I just read about um, the saris is that that pattern, the blue and white stripes was recently trademarked by the missionaries of charity oh. in India so that no one else can use that pattern.
0: True. So that's kind of fun too. That's very interesting.
1: <laughs> Continuing with Mother Teresa's yeah. story. Um, so here she is now in, in the gutters with the the poor people of India. Um, at the very beginning, she even had to beg for her own food. Um, she said she was often tempted to return to the comfort of the Laredo convent. And uh, that was a big trial for her, was you know working in the gutters and still having that temptation of her friends and, and the life that she loved back there. Eventually, she was joined by uh, some other women. Some of them actually former students of hers, um, in the Loretto convent school. Um, and things started to improve for her then in 1950, she started her own congregation, what we know as the missionaries of charity. Mm -hmm. And they take the regular three vows that most religious take of chastity, poverty, and obedience, but Mm -hmm. also, um, a fourth vow of wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. And they definitely take their vow seriously. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So free service is absolutely free service. They never take any kind of payment from the people that they help. And the poorest of the poor is those who have literally nothing. These are the people who are turned away from the hospitals because they can't be helped. And people who have given up and lay dying in the street, these are the poorest of the poor that Mother Teresa helps.
0: So I know Mother Teresa, I mean, you would think doing all of these amazing things that Mother Teresa does and did... Um, man, she has to just feel so close to God. Mm-hmm. You you would think, but that's not the case with Mother Teresa. Can you explain, um, to us, Mother Teresa's like own dark night of the soul?
1: Right. So for the last several years of her life, Mother Teresa felt that, um that God was not present in her life anymore. She was still doing all those wonderful acts of service and she was still doing them because she, she felt that Jesus had called her to that, but she didn't feel him in her life anymore. Um, She even had some, some doubts about her faith in general and to have that, what she called her dark night of the soul going on during all this service that she was doing. I mean, it's one thing to be serving like that when you're full of faith, but when you're doubting everything at the same time, it must have been just
0: so hard. So
1: hard. And not only doing the service, but
0: receiving accolades for the service that you're doing. I can only imagine that that had to have been difficult, in just, you know, how do you say, I'm doing everything for God, but I don't feel God's presence. You don't really come out and say that because mm-hmm. then everyone's going to think you're a fraud. And that's not yeah. that's not the case either.
1: And no one knew except for her confessor at, right. at, during her life. And it didn't come out until after her canonization process.
0: And the book, isn't it called um, Come Be My Light? Come Be My Light, yeah. I remember reading that and I kind of skimmed through it in preparation for the the podcast today. And I just, I always... I don't want to pretend to know what Mother Teresa was going through, but you know, when you stare at a light for a long time mm-hmm. and like you start to see the dark spots, mm-hmm. I often wonder if like that dark night of the soul was because, not because she was far away from God, but because she was so close to the light of God that, yeah, she kind of was blinded mm-hmm. by it That's and kind of thought. that disorientation that you get when you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just. I completely believe that, it, and it's. And I think it happens in all of our lives, those moments when we feel like we are answering the call that God has given us and we feel like we're doing everything God has asked, but why, God, don't I feel you? Mm-hmm. Where did you go? And I really believe that those are the moments that God is the closest to us and that we're we just can't see because we're so close to the light of God that it's almost as if we feel like we're in darkness mm-hmm. because those black spots are in our sure. eyes. So
1: and mother Teresa, isn't the only saint who writes about this dark right. night of the soul. You know, St. Therese that we'll talk about in a minute also had this experience towards mm-hmm. the end of her life.
0: Mother Teresa's story. It, it is an inspiration because, well, I just, sometimes when God calls, I say, not now, God, not mm-hmm. now. <laughs> right. So, I mean, she is an inspiration. Um, is there anything else that you think we should know about Mother Teresa that maybe we didn't touch on?
1: Um, well, there's one little little quote that I, a couple little stories that I really loved about her. Um, one of them is that she told her sisters all the time, the sisters in the convent. She says, "Remember the five fingers," and she held up her five fingers. You did this for me, mm. and that was that was her constant reminder to her sisters that every person they meet in the streets is Jesus. Mm. Reminder of that Matthew 25 quote.
0: That is a great reminder.
1: And then uh, my my absolute favorite story that I read in any of the books that that I found was a a story of a man that she found dying in the gutter and she brought him into her home for the dying and she washed and cared for him herself. And as he lay dying, he says to her, all my life I have lived like an animal in the streets, but here I am dying like an angel because I am loved and cared for. And I think that's what what we all need to aspire to do for our fellow people
0: Mm -hmm. we can do no great things only small things with great love Mm -hmm. another mother favorite mother quote quote. (laughs) it's i think sometimes we as christians and disciples we put this put this pressure on ourselves that we have to do the big thing Mm -hmm. you know we have to do the big thing for god um But so much of our faith is made up of the little things. Mm -hmm. It's, to be cliche, it's holding the door open for someone. Mm -hmm. It's smiling at someone. Maybe it gets to, you volunteer at the soup kitchen or you volunteer at the homeless shelter. You do these things. And yes, it makes you feel good. But it's really for the other person. Mm -hmm. Because we would... Of course, if you're dying, you should die with dignity. That's just an assumption in our minds. But so many people are out there and they don't have that opportunity. So it truly is up to us to be that light of Christ for others. And that's what Mother Teresa was doing. And it, it is a true example of don't get overwhelmed by, you know, doing the big thing. Mm-hmm. Just do the small things and then that'll add up.
1: Sure. Another one of her famous sayings is find your own Calcutta. Mm. You don't need to come here to India and serve the poorest of the poor in India. They are everywhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Start at home. Even in Midland. Even in Midland. Find our Calcutta in Midland and start there.
1: There is even a Missionaries of Charity in Vatican City. So there you go. There you go.
0: Not even the Vatican's immune. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for the Mother Teresa information. I definitely learned some new things. Well, good. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next Teresa. Well, this is Saint Therese of the Sioux. And she was only twenty-four. Um well she's ten years younger than I am currently, um, when she died at twenty-four, and her impact was mm-hmm. And I think she's the perfect saint to talk about now, because we just got done talking about doing small things. Exactly. So Corinne, can you tell us a little bit more about
1: Therese of the Sioux? Yes. Um, So St. Therese's story, I think, is also a a testament to the influence that a loving, faith-filled family can have on your life. Um, Therese's parents are Louis and Zélie Martin, and they were recently canonized. Mm -hmm. They are the first canonized married couple, which I think is pretty special. And all of Therese's sisters, she has uh, five, let me get that right. She is one of five surviving sisters in her family. And all five of them um, became religious nuns. Wow. Four of them in the the Carmelite order and one in the Visitation order. Um, So I think that family structure is a huge part of what makes Therese Mm. who she is. Um, she's also the baby of the family <laughs> and I think being spoiled yes. by her older sisters as is another large part of, of how Therese is who she is. Um, when her mother died, when she was very young, her oldest sister was asked to be her caretaker, her second mother, she called her. Mm-hmm. And, um, so one of the things that, um, her oldest sister asked her to do, um, as, as a way of being closer to Jesus was to keep track of all the little sacrifices that she made each day. And she moved, I think she had a nut, a pocket full of nuts, and she moved a nut to the other pocket as she made small sacrifices throughout the day. And when Therese um, entered the uh, Carmelite convent following her sisters there, um, she kind of continued, maybe not the nuts, but but that practice of doing small sacrifices each day. Um, and this is what she called her her little way. That's what she's very famous for, is the little way. Um, I've got a quote here. She says, I will seek out a means of getting to heaven by a little way, a very short and very straight little way that is wholly new. We live in an age of inventions. Nowadays, the rich need not trouble to climb the stairs. They have elevators instead. I mean to try and find an elevator by which I may be raised unto God, for I am too tiny to climb the steep stairway of perfection. Thine arms then, O Jesus, are the elevator which must raise me up even unto heaven. To get there, I need not grow. On the contrary, I must remain little. I must become still less. That's beautiful. How many times in our lives do we try to be less? Never. Never.
0: Because again, we always want to do the big thing. Mm -hmm. We always, we want the the accolades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. That's beautiful. And it really, it's a reminder too of what are the little ways that we sacrifice or that we, you know, live out our faith. Because again, you might have one big event, big faith event that takes place in your life and we can't rest our entire faith life upon that one event. But if we have all of these little things sprinkled like, confetti in our faith life how beautiful is that like being a disciple of christ it's got confetti it's a party yes so i mean sometimes it's our party and we can cry if we want to and that that's okay (laughs) as well um but yeah i love that story of therese and and it's it's especially hard you know talking about you know these modern (laughs) <laughs> inventions now yes. in the 21st century right. it's like the elevator the elevator Ooh. now we can be like our iphone our airpods right. you know or whatever so no that's that's a great that's a great quote
1: so one of my favorite stories that also illustrates this point there there was a sister at the convent that therese just didn't like <laughs> she just she says she rubbed me up the wrong way was was the quote and so instead of rolling her eyes or avoiding her like i would probably do if there's mm-hmm. someone i didn't like who annoyed me she became determined to treat her as if she were the person i loved best in the world she writes mm-hmm. and every time she meets her she smiles at her she engages her in conversation all the while thinking you annoy me <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but what she strove to, to think about was that Jesus was there in this person. Mm-hmm. And she actually convinced this nun that she was her best friend, that she loved her best of anybody in the world. She even convinced her own biological sister at the convent with her that this nun was her best friend. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's dedication. Right. So what would happen if we all love people like that, the people we don't like? Mm-hmm. If you love them like they were Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you convince them that they were the person that you love best.
0: The world would definitely be better. That the, the world would definitely be better for sure. It reminds me of Father Rob's homily from a couple of weeks, maybe a couple months ago. But he was talking about, you know, you fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, because yes. eventually. That's exactly what I was thinking of know, when I heard that. Homily. Yeah. yeah. You, eventually, you. It what starts out as a, well, I'm, I'm going to treat you as if you are my best friend. Like that that love grows and it mm-hmm. becomes something real. So you're no longer faking it. Mm-hmm. It is a real love um, that you have for an o-
1: that other person,
0: which the world definitely needs. That's a skill the world needs for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. Uh, so besides living in a, or despite the fact that she lived in a cloistered convent, she is also the patron saint of missionaries. Mm. And uh, one of her, the things that she did while she was living in the convent was kind of become a pen pal, with missionaries. I think that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Mother Teresa took Therese as her patron saint, partly because she was the patron of missionaries. Wow! So, um, One of the books sitting on my nightstand right now is a exchange of letters between Therese and and one of the missionaries that she wrote to. So I haven't gotten to it yet. I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to
0: let us know. That sounds very interesting. Um, Just the way, I mean, yeah, for someone who doesn't really leave the convent I mean it just goes to show that it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. when God has a call and a plan for you it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you are 20 years old and you don't even leave the convent like Mm -hmm. you're going to end up being the patron saint of missionaries because God's called you to that and when you respond to the call there's nothing that can stand in your way. There might be things in your life that stand in your way, but God just opens the doors. And even when things are hard, God sees you through it. And I think, I mean, she died at 24, which is yeah. super young. Right.
1: Um, can you tell us what, how did she die? I don't uh, know. It her. was tuberculosis, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as she was dying over the last couple years when she was sick, um, her older sister was the prioress of the convent and asked her to kind of write her memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after her older sister was no longer the prioress and the next lady came along, she asked her to write about her little way. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have the, the book, The Story mm-hmm. of a Soul, which is Therese's autobiography. Um, Therese is known as Little Flower, too. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of a, a neat story, too. She, she always thought of certain saints as beautiful lilies out in the field, strong flowers, Like lilies, Um, Joan of Arc was a special favorite of hers, Mm. and she thought of Joan as a lily, Mm -hmm. but of herself as just a little flower in the field, a little wildflower. Mm. And she knew that Jesus loved her just as much as a wildflower as he loved Joan as a lily. Mm -hmm. That's why she's called Little Flower.
0: Oh, I love that. God loves us no matter what. God doesn't play favorites. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes we think he does, but God sure. doesn't play favorites. And and you, you don't have to be Joan of Arc leading a war. Nope. Again, <laughs> just do the little things. Mm-hmm. I think if everyone listening to this podcast, like, if we, like, everyone just decided, okay, we're, we're also going to keep track of the little things that we do to serve God and serve others, the little sacrifices that we make. You know, if we did this for a month. Mm-hmm. I really think that, you know, we can make a huge change. Sure. And that's, that's what being a disciple in community is all about is if we all do our little part, then something big happens and mm-hmm. it's not all about us. It's not all about me, but it's about us. Yes. And that's the whole point. It so. is. Excellent. Um, we're... Do you have any other stories or anything else you want to share about St. Therese? Or
1: well, One last thing. Okay. Therese had plans for heaven, too. Oh. She says, Therese says that she is going to spend her heaven doing good on earth, and she's going to send a shower of roses. Mm. So that always makes me feel really good about all the saints whose intercession I ask for that they're there, you know, showering us with roses and doing good from heaven.
0: That's, so I have a story. It's a, it kind of leads into St. Teresa of Avila, who we're going to talk about next, but also St. Therese in the shower of roses. When I was in grad school, I had just finished up my comprehensive exam, my oral part, where I went and talked with my advisors and they graded me on it essentially. And I was feeling stressed, like even though it was done, like I still, the the relief of it being done didn't come to me right away. Mm -hmm. So I went to core Chapel, and I just sat in the quiet of this. It was a small chapel on campus, and I'm an emotional individual, and when I get super emotional, I cry. So it's it's not a great quality <laughs> in me, but it mm-hmm. happens. So I'm sitting in core Chapel, and I'm just crying, and my comprehensive exam. One of my big people who I talked about, and and I said, and walked with me through that entire semester was Saint Teresa of Avila. I studied her works. I interwove her works into everything else that I did that semester. So I just kind of felt like St. Teresa of Avila was with me that entire semester. And she was sitting with me while I cried like an idiot in Court <laughs> Chapel as well. And all out of nowhere, I was the only one in there. And out of nowhere, this woman comes up to me and she taps me on the shoulder, and I look up at her. And I'm like, my mascara is running. I look a mess. And I'm like, hi, I'm sorry. Am I being too loud? And she's like, no. And she hands me a rose and she said, here's a rose from heaven. Wow. And I was just like, thank you. <laughs> like, it didn't help my crying at all.
1: Right. Made but it worse, probably. It made it
0: worse. But I was, just, so here, you know, we're talking about the four Teresa's and, and Teresa of Avila, my girl. <laughs> partner in crime for that semester, but also how another Carmelite and how interwoven these Teresas are. Mm -hmm. And so to receive that rose from heaven, I was just like, okay, if this is not a true testament to the communion of saints, I don't know what Mm -hmm. is. So that was just my, I'm I'm actually Mm -hmm. glad you brought that up because I totally, (laughs) that just reminded me of that story of that woman coming up to me, I still don't know who she was. Like, I've been on that campus for two years. I've never seen this woman in my life. Doesn't matter. Never saw Messenger her Messenger from heaven. Yep, got <laughs> it. So, yeah. So that was kind of, you know, just... It just, again, goes to show you how the community of saints and the community of... The community of saints in heaven and the community of faith on earth, like, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so let's go... So let's move on to Teresa of Avila, who... I just, I love her. I love her wit. I love her theology. I just think she's spunky.
1: Spunky. So, so, spunky like you are. Spunky. So what can you tell us about Teresa of Avila? Well, you probably know her better than I do if you spent that entire year studying her. So I'll, I'll give you the basics and then you can tell me what you love about her. How's that? Sounds good. Okay. Uh, so she's the oldest of our quartet of Teresa's. She's born in 1515. So that's a long, a time, long ago. time ago. Navarre, Spain. She's one of 12 children, um, and she enters the Carmelite Incarnation Monastery. And I thought this was interesting. At that time, the Carmelite nuns lived under a mitigated rule. So the original rules of the uh, Carmelite Order, they they could, um, if they came with a large enough dowry. They could stay in a suite of rooms and they could have servants and they could have a a companion and they, they still did all the the great things and they prayed together and they fasted and they cared for the sick, but
0: there was a certain level of
1: comfort, you know, if you could pay for it. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and Teresa kind of felt like with all those distractions, they couldn't get into deep prayer and, and contemplation. It was too, too difficult with so many distractions around. Um, so she she's in this this incarnation monastery with the mitigated rule, and she gets sick and spends several years um, in a real serious illness, even partial paralysis mm. um eventually recovers um, and uh, goes back to the Carmelite convent and she she had some time at this point to think about her vocation and her prayer life, um, but she's still looking for balance between prayer and the world um around the age of forty she experiences this conversion and finally places all her trust in God. And then she's on this mission to change the Carmelite monasteries. She's going to change them back to the original rule called the primitive rule. And this is going to allow them for a simpler, quieter life. Um, travels all All over, over. Mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, because her superior general is surprisingly on her side about all this. Mm -hmm. Um, it travels all over the place starting new convents um, Saint John of the Cross joins her team and starts starting uh, convent or monasteries for for men with this same mm. um, primitive rule and eventually they become known as the discalced Carmelites which means shoeless because <laughs> they're not bringing their servants with them yeah <laughs> they're they're going back to the old ways
0: her life I mean is it, it's just she's fascinating because to read about her life. And she too wrote her own autobiography, mm-hmm. the the book of her life. And she is witty. And she was like, well, I better become a nun because I'm too obsessed with my looks. Like that's a huge paraphrase of it, but like wore a red dress to a party right, right. before she left. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to live like my last hurrah. Um, So like, she just, I, I guess what I love about St. Teresa of Avila and this is like I loved Saint Teresa of Avila so much that this is just part of what we're going to talk about because mm-hmm. our next episode of the podcast, I'm bringing in two other people who love Saint Teresa of Avila, <laughs> and we're going to talk about her some more. But I guess for me, she this is all she's also doing all of this in the time of the Spanish Inquisition, mm-hmm. so everything is suspect. Mm-hmm. And when you read if anyone decides to read her writings, sometimes it can be a little um, distracting because she's like, oh, but what do I know? I'm just a woman. Mm -hmm. And and she's always, it's like she'll say something you're like, yes, girl. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, but I'm just a woman. And so it makes sense. Like what she was doing during this time is she doesn't want to come off as too pushy. So and, and I think women can sometimes relate to that. Like you kind of, pull back a little bit cause you don't want to come off a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so she knew what she was doing though. She was so smart that she's like, okay, if I want to get my way, I need to present myself. I'm going to present all of my great ideas. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to present it in a way that a, I won't be suspect cause I don't really want to go down with the inquisition, mm-hmm. but B that I don't come off as a threat because I don't want to be a threat. Um, and so just the way she writes and, you know, the story of her life and then she goes on to write the way of perfection and then she perfects the way of perfection and um, in the interior castle. And it is her focus is so much on prayer that you read it and you're like, why would anyone consider this to mm-hmm. be suspect? Why would anyone consider this to be um, bad theology? Because to me, it. It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's one of the reasons I love hers because she's like, well, I'm just going to tell you what makes sense. And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. And everyone should listen. See, there so, you go. Yeah. I can I could talk about Teresa of Avila forever, but I don't want to uh, – no one wants to listen to me talk forever. So what else you got for us about <laughs> Teresa Avila?
1: i going to listen to you talk all about her next week too. So. Um, yeah, so she's got these three – writings, the book of her life and the way of perfection and the interior class. And, um, they, like you said, they're written for her sisters, but also just in case people, you know, read them who might be suspicious of her.
0: Right. And I think too, about, you know, these writings is that she's, yes, she's writing them for her sisters, um, for the nuns and, and for these Carmelite monasteries and convents, but also, It just makes, to me, it just makes so much sense, like, for our lives today. Because Mm -hmm. one of her big things about prayer is this recollection. And when we think recollection, we're like, let's think all the way back, you know, we're going to, you know, think back and go dive into our memories, but for her it was we are spread so thin and this is in with the 1500s so they had not nearly as many modern conveniences and or distractions as we have today not even
1: elevators not even
0: <laughs> elevators yet so for her it was all about we're spread we spread ourselves so thin we have to take time to recollect ourselves and bring bring ourselves back to ourselves essentially mm-hmm and rediscover how god dwells within us how we are made in the image and likeness of god and so that was when i spent the semester with her for school i looked a lot at her psychology and again the woman's brilliant um but that really always stood out to me is because i think everyone from the very itty bitty littlest kiddos to the eldest people that we know, we all try to do too much. And I'm seeing the theme of this podcast is we can't do great things, but we can do small things. That's right. And so live your gifts. Live your gifts and take time to rest and recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad thing to mm-hmm. take time away, to spend time in silence, to spend time in prayer, that silent prayer. And that was all, that's what Teresa Avila was about. She's like, prayer is great, but there are stages to it. And the further along the stages you get, just the more at peace mm-hmm. you will be. And if there's one thing that I think all of us could agree that we need more of in the world, it's
1: peace. Mm-hmm. She also took a lot of time to recharge with her people too. Mm-hmm. It's not all about solitude. It's about community.
0: Yes. I've got stories Kalor, so I'm going to (laughs) skip, I'm going to skip them. Um, but yeah, any, just anything else that we can talk about Truce of Avila that maybe we didn't
1: touch on. So her interior castle book is the one that is on my nightstand at the moment, the one I most of the way through. And she kind of talks about all the Jesus at the center Mm -hmm. of your life and working your way towards him. Um, as you work through your life and mm-hmm. different ways of prayer, as you go through, and it's—I'm still working through it. <laughs> it
0: it's so—I think one of my favorite images is like Jesus is at the center of our soul in a crystal castle, mm-hmm. and part of our journey to to Jesus is we have to polish that crystal. We have to clean off the the mud and the things mm-hmm. that we flung onto it to cover Jesus in our lives. And she talks about that as sin, but I I think sin, yes, but also Mm. the distractions that we put in, the things that we do instead of focusing on Jesus. So yeah, she was a woman way ahead of her time. (laughs) And again, I could talk about her for days. We're going to talk about her again in our next (laughs) podcast. So everyone's going to, my goal in life (laughs) is to have everyone love Teresa of Avila
1: as much as I love Teresa of Avila. Oh, well, I'm sure you can accomplish this goal.
0: I'm, that's my, that's, I'm working on it. So I'm excited though, because I could talk for Teresa of Avila for days. Um, but I'm so excited to learn about St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, aka Edith Stein, because the little bit of um, research that I did for this podcast, I was like, I need to know more about this amazing mm-hmm. woman. Yes. So
1: Corinne, please enlighten me. Well, you just talking about St. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> Just reminds me, again, of of Edith Stein and and her scholarship. Mm. So Edith, tragically beautiful, is is the way that we talked about it before. Her story is just, that's what it is. Um, So Edith Stein um, is born in Breslau, Germany in 1891. And if you do the math, you can see what this is leading up to. As as a Jew in Germany, Mm -hmm. um, 1891, we're working towards World War II, right? Yeah. Um, so she's one of 11 children. Her family is a devout Jewish family, and her mother is just a force of nature. Um, very, very influential in Edith's life. Um, and when Edith's father died, um, when she was little, uh, mom takes over the business as well as the family, and she she's just running it all. Mm-hmm. This is an inspiration, of course, for Edith and her life as she moves on. Um, as a child, she's known as being the smart one in the family, (laughs) which, yeah, she, she works into that. Uh, she loves school, especially history. So despite the fact that her mother had a deep devotion to God, um, Edith spent most of her teenage years, not even believing in God at all. Mm. And she went through the motions to please her mother, but her faith was almost completely absent. Um, Mm. obviously that changes. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, She started at the University of Breslau with the ambition of becoming a teacher, um, but fell in love with the study of psychology and then moved on to philosophy. And this becomes her life's work as a scholar is philosophy. Um, She studies with the famous German philosopher named Husserl. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I don't speak German, (laughs) but (laughs) Husserl. Um, And then she starts to work out her own religious questions. And this is when she starts reading. And guess who she finds? Teresa of Avila. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) She's so great. (laughs) So she finds Teresa of Avila. And uh, this kind of changes her life, right? Um, She spends long hours at prayer, contemplative prayer in the church. She'll work all day at the university and then spend all night in church praying. Um, And, of course, decides to enter the Catholic church. And guess what her mom thinks about that? Okay. (laughs) exactly oh, oh boy <laughs> oh my daughter <laughs> really <laughs> mom is not thrilled yeah um yeah um so she's a edith is a philosopher at heart and she's intellectual and questioning and uh eventually finds saint thomas aquinas who as we know is the answerer of questions right yep <laughs> so she finds saint thomas and her her ambition now is to translate all of his works that's ambitious. Which is going to take her <laughs> forever, right? Yes. Um, she, and this, I think, is one of the lessons that Edith has for us. She writes at this time, the recognition that God can be served through scholarship first really struck me while studying St. Thomas. It was only then that I could decide to take up scholarship seriously again. And I think just that living your gifts mm-hmm. idea that we've been talking about mm-hmm. comes back here.
0: It is. It's just those, no matter what you do, whether you're an academic scholar or a teacher or you are an engineer or a plumber or an electrician, a car mechanic, your gifts, these are the gifts that God gave you. And no matter what you do as your profession, God's like, I gave you those gifts. We're going to use them to further the kingdom and it's just up to us to kind of have that realization that how can i use these gifts to further the kingdom Mm -hmm. and i think that's what all of these women are showing us is that identify and then
1: offer up Mm -hmm. and go
0: do exactly
1: here's a great little story about this time in edith's life uh the niece of her spiritual advisor um she she watches him collapse into a chair, and he says, that lady philosopher, ten theologians, couldn't answer all the questions she asks me. <laughs> Following in St. Thomas's footsteps, mm. right? So she begins to advocate for a, a place for women in society, mm. which yeah, kind of goes back to that St. Teresa of Avila that she's reading. Um, she says, not only in house and cloister, but out in the professional world as the equals of men. Mm. So here she is, you know, as, as a professor, any university, one of very few, um, advocating for women's rights, and you know, not equals just in the sense of being exactly the same as men and having all the exact same things, but the the other things that women bring to the table, and that this is what she's writing about. Um, she writes that women, and again, this sounds just like Saint Teresa. I just love it. Um, she writes that women should try to find breathing spaces where they can rest in God. And after a, a day of, of you know, everything being fragmentary and how much she planned that has gone undone, she says, "You have to um, any anything you have to be embarrassed and ashamed of, take everything exactly as it is, put it in God's hands, and leave it with Him."
0: That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Then you'll be able to rest in Him, really rest, and start the next day as a new life.
0: I love that. Yeah. Every day is a new day, a Every new day. life. I like that. I'm gonna file that away.
1: So in the early 1930s, Edith and, and uh, the other Jews in Germany are tra- starting to see some anti-Semitic violence happening. Um, she never complains, but the the pain of this violence is very difficult to her. Um, and she sees herself in this unique position as both a Jew and a Christian. Um, she writes, to belong to Christ, not only spiritually, but according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And I think she's she's the first one we've talked about. Who who has this Jewish background mm-hmm. leading up into her Christianity, and she can be both and. So she really probably understood Jesus the best
0: out yes. of everyone because they share that that Jewish heritage, mm-hmm. and much like Mary played a huge role in the life of Jesus and bringing him up, which I'm pretty sure I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when it comes to Jewish. Jewish tradition i th- like the mothers play a huge role in passing along like Judaism runs from the mother mm-hmm. i and it's probably not the right way to say it but i'm pretty sure that's how it goes so i love that Edith Stein like is discovering all of these things and just how close to Jesus she must have been knowing that she's em- she's embraced the life that he lived as as a Jewish man and mm-hmm. her as a Jewish woman, and then to learn and study these, his teachings and the reforms that he was looking at, you know, to bring the kingdom to the fullness. I, I just, I've never made that connection before. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. But wow, what a Testament, like what an amazing woman.
1: Mm-hmm. I know. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
0: Right now, I am an emoji, and it is the mind blown emoji.
1: <laughs> so this, is, she's forced to give up her teaching position because of all the the change happening in Germany. And this is when she finally enters the Carmelite mm-hmm. monastery yeah. in Cologne. Um, she had applied before, but was rejected first because of her mother's influence on her life, and mm-hmm. and second because she was doing such a great job with her scholarship. And they didn't want, they wanted her to, to continue to pursue that. Um, she's funny. After being independent for so long, convent life is difficult for her. I'm sure. Because, yeah. Um, she says, it is easier to be nailed to the cross with the Savior than to become an obedient child with him. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's
0: fantastic.
1: <laughs> and she prays that they will eventually make a passable nun out of her. <laughs> so she asks. she was asked to finish the book that she was writing when she left her teaching position. Um, and she says this was a huge challenge because she doesn't have any of her resources that she had at the university, and constantly being interrupted for for prayer, which she wants to do, but she also wants to be in her flow. Right. The political scene continues to deteriorate, and she moves to a different Carmel convent in uh, Holland because the Cologne convent was so close to the action. Um, this was for basically for the safety of the people in the Cologne convent. Um, and then she's joined by her sister, Rosa, who also mm. became Catholic.
0: That's fun. And
1: also joined the Carmelites following in her sister's footsteps. They, they learn about uh, Carmelite convents in Germany being dissolved, and they're really starting to prepare for the worst at this time. But <laughs> she starts a new book, <laughs> because why not? Why not?
0: Um, <laughs> the world's falling apart, but you know, mm-hmm. when you've got... And I'm sure she found solace in that. Mm-hmm. So that's Well, she's awesome. writing
1: about St. John of the Cross. so Dark Night of the Soul exactly. and all those other good things. Exactly. See, it all comes back it, around. It does. <laughs> so, yeah, she's writing about St. John of the Cross, and her research is her consolation at this mm-hmm. time, right? Um, but she never finished the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the SS arrive in Holland, and Edith and Rosa are interrogated on a regular basis. Um, they attempted to get visas to Switzerland, um, but we're only able to get one visa for Edith and she won't leave without her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then on August 2nd, 1942, um, Edith and Rosa are arrested and Edith takes her sister by the hand and she says, come Rosa, we are going for our people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So back to that whole, you know, Jewish Christian mm-hmm. thing, we're going for our people, um, I wonder if that's what Jesus was thinking. Doing this for my people. Doing yeah, this that's for my exactly, people.
0: I'm sure that's exactly what he was
1: thinking. Mm-hmm. Not only am I doing it for my people, but I'm doing it for everyone. Yeah, all so, the people. Wow. Yeah. Um, so they're taken to Amersfoort and then on to Westerbork. Um, there's a survivor who um, left the camp at Westerbork who says he he remembers her caring for the women and children in their group. Everyone else is paralyzed in fear, and Edith and Rosa are taking care of everybody. Um, she says she was thinking about the suffering that lay ahead not her own suffering she was far too resigned for that but the suffering that was in store for others Um, from there Edith and Rosa are taken to Auschwitz and there's no account of their last moments but uh, their deaths were confirmed on August 9th 1942 wow yeah
0: that's that's heavy, I mean it, it really is, and you're right, we did we kind of describe her life as tragically beautiful because it is mm-hmm. it it's tragic in how it ended, but beautiful in a life well lived yes, um and you know, looking at all of this quartet of teresa's um each one has a role each one has their own life but the way that when you look at them together it is a it's beautiful music it mm-hmm. really is Um tapestry it, it yes so why do you think it's important that we hear their stories I think
1: it's important to hear how human they are I mean they had some some great insight to prayer and meditation and and service but they're also funny and honest and real mm-hmm. and flawed, mm-hmm. just like we all are. Um, and they all serve God with their talents in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like we've mm-hmm. talked about, you know, Therese with her little way and Mother Teresa with her service to the poorest of the poor and Edith and her scholarship and an eventual martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Teresa of Avila with her reform of all the monasteries yes. and her, her deep prayer life um I think that's something that we all really need to hear absolutely
0: and I mean this this year our podcast we're really focusing on women's voices and why do you think it's important for everyone to hear the faith stories of women in general
1: for balance I think so many of the stories you know I think about uh Saint Ignatius, when he's on his sickbed reading the lives of the saints, mm-hmm. how many of the stories that influenced him were the stories of women? Mm-hmm. You know, We we need to have balance. Um, I think it's important for women to hear stories of other women so that you feel like you're not alone in your faith yeah. journey. Just, It's important too, I think, for all of us
0: to recognize that we have a story. I mean, not just women, but everyone, the whole body of Christ, as individuals who make up the body of Christ, we have a story to share. And it really is, it, it's the call of the disciple is to go out and share the good news. And sometimes the and the good news is wrapped up in our own faith stories. Mm-hmm. So our hope this year with the big reveal with this podcast is just for everyone to kind of take a moment and reflect not only on the stories of the lives of this quartet of Teresa's, but to take a moment and reflect on your own life yeah. and, and really see how is God been at work where have you seen God where have you not seen God maybe that's a great if you're looking for a place to jump off like where have you felt abandoned and go from there because the world needs to hear your story Mm -hmm. and it's important because your story is part of Jesus's story and that's part of preaching the gospel so Corinne any we've Touched on so much, <laughs> and we've made connections along the way. Excuse me, but is there any any other remarks that maybe we didn't talk about, or anything that you are like, I, I people need the people need to know. The people need to know. <laughs> yeah. Any
1: any closing <laughs> or other remarks? Well, I mean, here, these four Teresas are the big ones, but there are others. Saint Teresa's too. Mm-hmm. There's Saint Teresa of the Andes, who was the first Chilean saint. And, you know, maybe you have a St. Teresa in your own life um, who inspires you and, um, you know, get their stories, make that a part of your faith journey too.
0: Excellent. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for sharing your love of these Teresas with us. Um, Letting me nerd out just a little bit with (laughs) Teresa of Avila. That's exactly what my son said last Um, night. You're going to go nerd nerd out about Teresa. It's
1: it's fantastic. (laughs)
0: Um, And thank you so much, you know for the biographical information on Mother Teresa and Thérèse of Lisieux and um Teresa Benedicta of the Cross because I think it we hear about the great things that they done but to hear from about where they came from mm-hmm. you know they it, it just it just sure. makes them more human and it it's inspiring really to mm-hmm. know that well if that's where they started out there's hope for me mm-hmm. um right. Saint
1: Thérèse as a spoiled child you know right
0: <laughs> And Teresa of Avila as a wild child who's mm-hmm. like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to the convent. Better have a party. <laughs> right. um, so thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And like I said earlier in the podcast, our next podcast episode we are doing a deep dive into Teresa of Avila. Um, we've got two very special guests coming in to talk about her. Um, They offer retreats on St. Teresa of Avila, and one I'm pretty sure even has a habit that St. Teresa of Avila may, similar to the one St. Teresa of Avila may have worn. Pretty cool.
1: Absolutely. Um, And coming up at the end of November, I'm going to be doing a little Women's Morning of Reflection on the four St. Teresa's. Excellent. So come join me for that.
0: Excellent. So there we go. We'll get the date, and we'll put that in... The description of the podcast as well so people November 20th is the date
1: there mark that
0: on your calendars so again Corinne thank you so much and as we go forth today um, we just ask that this quartet of Teresa's continue to pray for us um, that we might find little ways to serve and bring the kingdom of God to our world thanks everyone take Amen. care
1: good night